You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that song kind of sums up the question that uh, we've been asking for the last, well, several weeks. Is it well with your soul? You know, we've talked a lot about the hereafter, and, and really one question that it should prompt in your mind is, is it well? It can be, it should be. Um, the gift of salvation through Christ is available. And it is a free gift, but you must receive it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is dealing with a church that has a whole mess of trouble. <laughs> a whole heap of trouble. The church at Corinth. And um, one of the issues that he gets into pretty quickly is the, the fact that they were dividing. The church was divided. And they were divided because there were groups of people, basically factions of people who were following after various teachers, uh, Apollos being one of them. Apollos was a strong teacher of the Word, but what was happening in this church was not what Paul intended to happen. He, he planted this church, he established this church, he taught them the gospel, he, he told them and expected them to continue to grow in their faith after he left. Only to find out later that instead of growing, uh, they had actually continued spiritual immaturity. So Paul was prompted to write. And you may not be aware of this, but when you read 1 Corinthians, you find out that there was another letter. Your 1 Corinthians is actually not the first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. There was another letter. We don't have a copy of it. We don't have any manuscripts of it. So 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to this church to deal with some of these issues. So he's already written one time to deal with this, and he finds out that it still hasn't changed. And in chapter 3, he talks about that they were infants in Christ. And them being infants in Christ was manifesting itself in incredible division. But this morning, what we want to focus on this last sermon in this series, next week we're going to start in 1 Timothy. We do have the cards in the back back there if you're interested in picking one up on how we're going to go through 1 and 2 Timothy, how those texts are divided up so you can kind of be reading along. Uh, but today, to kind of wrap up this whole series, I really want to talk specifically this morning to disciples of Christ. And that doesn't mean that if you are not a disciple of Christ, that you're to tune out and take an out and check your Facebook status. I would prefer you stick with us because at the end, at the end, uh, this is going to come to bear on you as well. But predominantly, what we want to talk to is those who are Christ followers this morning, both online and here in the building. We want to welcome both of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you have opened our eyes to a lot of things over the last several weeks. And Father, certainly the, the reality of eternity the reality of two possibilities after this life is over. The reality that the gospel is more than enough to give us a firm foundation upon which we can know without a shadow of a doubt 
what the outcome of our physical death is going is to be, that we, that we can know that there is a place prepared for us in your presence. Father, we can also know without a shadow of a doubt that, that there are people who are leaving this world unprepared and as a result are separated from you for eternity, a place of torment. We know that. Your word is very clear. So, Father, as our days are numbered, and as each day passes, we're reminded of the reality that with each passing day, there's less ahead of us than there is behind us. Paul said to the church at Ephesus to redeem the time, to make each moment count. And Father, today we're going to find out, and, and just like we looked at last week, that there's going to be a time of accounting for every person who's placed their faith in you. So, Father, may we use our time wisely today. And, Father, may you receive the glory for it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, back when I first uh, became a pastor in 2005, I uh, came on to staff at the church that my wife grew up in that, I was, that we were attending. Became an associate pastor. As I told you last week, didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh, the church was very gracious to allow me to, to step into that role and, and really not have a clue what I was doing. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Didn't really know what to do. I had, I had expectations in my mind. I, I had this caricature in my mind of what a pastor was supposed to do, but I never grew up in a church with an associate pastor. I never... I never had uh, seen anyone really in that role, and now I'm in that role, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I, I'll never forget this. I was about three or four months in, and my senior pastor, who was, who was really my best friend uh, during that time of my life and even to this day, he's one of my close friends, um, he invited me to go with him to a pastor's conference. I had never been to a pastor's conference, so I had no idea what to expect from a pastor's conference. So we went to a great big old church in Winston-Salem. Now, in my mind, I had cooked up in my mind some kind of expectation about what it was going to be like. I thought, I thought it would be like, you know, pastors hanging out and talking about our struggles and, you know, praying together and, and talking about, you know, how we can, you know, better reach our communities for Christ. And I, I kind of had in my mind that's what it was going to be like. And I knew there would be like, well-known speakers on the stage, and I knew there would be some breakout sessions, but, but really what I thought it would be is me getting to connect with other associate pastors who were just as messed up as I was, and maybe we could build some friendships and maybe help each other out. Well, it didn't turn out exactly like that. We go to the, this humongous church and uh, church building, and they had all the platform stuff going on. You had a great worship team. And, and then they would have these breaks where you could go out in their humongous foyer and you know, get a donut and something to drink. So during one of those intermissions, the first one, as a matter of fact, I, I'm all wild-eyed. You know, I'm, I'm ready to make some friends. It's probably a little over-aggressive in that, but I want to meet some people. So I go out in the hallway, and I, there's a group of Guy standing there drinking some coffee and eating donuts. So I just walk right up. I don't know any of these people. And uh, they were all pastors. And um, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of get to know some folks. And have you ever seen, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Have you ever seen those uh, bodybuilding championships? 
You ever seen that? Where they've got these guys who are huge bodybuilders and they're up there on stage and they're flexing, showing their muscles. You're going to wonder, how? what's the connection there? Well, I walk up into this and everybody's kind of introducing themselves and this is kind of how it went. Well, I'm a pastor so-and-so and I pastor a church in such and such area and, and uh, without even asking, without anybody even queuing, he said, my church is, uh, you know, we got 800 and, you know, we're hoping to be at 1,200 within the next six months. Next guy, he's like, yeah, you know, I've been pastoring for 20 years and, you know, my church has already crossed 1,200. We're already in the 1,800 range. And I'm sitting there going, okay, wouldn't expect that. I mean, all of the discussion as we're introducing one another, um, everybody's talking about what they've accomplished. And it seemed like everybody was trying to outdo the other person. You ever seen anything like that where, where somebody's, like maybe you're talking about sports, maybe some of your sports scars back in the day, some of the times you got hurt playing football. You get around a bunch of guys, everybody's talking about when they got hurt football. It, you, you need to be the last guy who speaks because you've got to outdo everyone else, right? Oh, my scar. Look at this scar here. These guys are talking about all this stuff that, that honestly was an opportunity to brag. Well, <laughs> It comes around to me. And I said, I'm associate pastor, student pastor, youth and children, and uh, I've been doing this three months, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, we've got some kids and we've got some teens, but honestly, I'm at a loss at what to do with either group, so I'm just here to learn. There was that awkward silence. And then I noticed that most of the guys just kind of turned, and there's this circle of men, and I'm not in that circle. Hmm. Uh, even as I think about it now, I can remember exactly how that felt. And from what I could tell from that conversation is that if you listen to how the conversation was going, there were, there were two things that was very important at least to that group. How many people were sitting in seats, whether it be an auditorium, Sunday school, even some of the churches that, that were talking, the guys that were talking were doing multi-site. You, you, you found that what was most valuable was, was people in seats. And then the other thing that was very, very important to that group of, of men was how much money they had in their budget. So you could say it this way, it was butts in seats, and bucks in the budget. Now, if you stood around long enough, you begin to think that maybe, maybe that's what God is concerned about. Maybe, maybe that's the thing that, that we're to be about, right? That, that we are to fill buildings and we're to fill budgets. And is that all? So when you stand before Jesus, and make no mistake about it, what, we're gonna, what I hope to get across to you today is the text we're going to look at today is not reserved for pastors only. Every single follower of Jesus falls under the text we're going to talk about today. But within the context of this illustration, we have a group of pastors here who have valued two things above everything else. People sitting in their building and money in their budget. And, and that was the pecking order among the crew. And, I, and finally, I just walked off and I was a little bit, I was a little bit disappointed. I really was. Not judging their hearts, not judging the content of their heart, but I can tell you in that moment, for a guy who'd been doing that for three months, I was a little bit disappointed. But then, later on, I find out that 
really across our North Carolina Baptist Convention, which is 4,000 churches, a lot of folks gauge their impact on the kingdom of God based on how many people are sitting in a building this morning and how much money they've got in a bank account. So when we stand before Jesus, Jesus is going to say, well, you know, um, you did pretty good here about getting some people in the building, but, you know, um, when it comes to money, you didn't really do a good job with that. You know, you, you started out at $150,000 budget and you really didn't move it much over 10 years of your tenure. Is, is that the conversation we're going to have with Jesus? Uh-uh. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Last week we talked about a parable. That parable was a nobleman who's going away to receive a kingdom. He calls 10 servants together and he gives at least three of those, sir. We know that all 10 of them got a mina, but the first three are the ones we know most about. And each one was given the same amount. Uh, the nobleman goes away. As soon as he comes back, he lines up his servants and he asks the first one, what did you do with what I gave you? And he says, hey, look what I did. You gave me one. I turned it into this many. I multiplied it into 10. Well done. You've been faithful. Now I'm going to give you some more responsibility. Second guy, he increased his by five. Good job. Come over here. I got something for you to do. Third guy, hey, I stuck it in my drawer. I found you to be a hard man. I found you to be a, a nobleman or a king who doesn't really deserve what he has. So therefore, I made a judgment call because my relationship with you is not all that great. I made a judgment call. I wrapped it up in a handkerchief. I stuck it in the bottom of my dresser drawer, and there it is. And here, I'm giving it back to you. And I said last week that that moment of accounting is not just a parable. It's not just some story that Jesus put together that, that the disciples would have understood that a, a nobleman certainly has the right to hold his servants accountable, especially to what he's invested in them. I said last week that there's more to come. Well, today is that more to come. Because that parable speaks to a reality that Paul clears up for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I had a birthday this past week. I appreciate all you guys telling me happy birthday. You didn't need to do that, but I appreciate it. But I'll tell you, with each birthday, I'm looking ahead, and I'm looking behind. And I'm wondering if I have spent a lot of the time and resources that God has given me on things that had no impact on the kingdom. I'm, I'm wrestling with that. Because I know I've got less days ahead that I've got behind. And more than anything else, I want to be faithful with what God has put in, in my care. I, the the, the minor that he has given me, I want to make sure I'm not wasting that, I'm not misusing it, abusing it. And I know that Jesus and I are going to have a conversation one day, and he's going to take the lead on that conversation. Jesus isn't going to grade on a curve. You know what that is, right? In school, you hope that your teachers would grade on the curve, that they would look at how everybody else did on the test, and they would say, okay, everybody did kind of bad, so I'm going to give everybody a few points. I know there's other ways to describe grading on a curve, but that's how I understood it. I always hope the teacher's going to give me that little extra. Jesus isn't going to do that, because at the moment you die, everything that you've done, so the time you came to faith in Christ, the time you left this earth, right then it's all locked at that moment. You're going to stand before Jesus. And here's the thing that I'm realizing. 
It's not so much what I did. That's going to be important. What did I do in the kingdom work? But here's the thing. Why did I do it? And to whom do I, did I do it for? In other words, the work that I'm doing, the serving that I'm doing, did I, did I do it for me, for my benefit? Why did I do it? What was my motivation? Was it to bring glory to him or bring glory to myself? I think these are the things that Jesus is going to be having a conversation with us about. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. I want to back up into verse 5 quickly here just to get some context. Paul says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says this division that is going on in the Corinthian church is absolutely foolish. Because these people who were moving into tribes and they were fighting against one another on our tribe is better than your tribe because we follow one particular teacher and y'all follow a, a lesser teacher. In other words, they, they were looking at their ministries and saying, we're better than y'all. Paul says it's all foolish. He says that, that God has given to the church some to water, some to plant, some to sow. The planter's not greater than the sower. The sower's not better than the waterer. No one's better than anyone else. We're all at the foot of Christ. We're all, we all come into the kingdom the same way. It's not that the pastor's better than anyone else. It's not that a deacon is better than anyone else. We're all serving in the kingdom of God. We all have a role to play in that. My role is different than yours, but your role is no less important than mine. So for the people who are counting our, our money in the back rooms of this church, who, who when things come in, they come in and count it for the guy who's out here mowing our grass out of, a, out of the goodness of his heart to serve this church, his role is no less than or better than anyone else's. Paul says it's foolish to have that kind of argument. Verse 7, so neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is we're all broken people who've been restored by Jesus and are following Him. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor. In other words, when you engage in kingdom work, the kingdom work that God has set you aside to do, then, then God is, is taking notice of that and that He's going to reward or provide wages accordingly. Now, to get this, we've got to understand that if, that if God is going to award each one according to his labor, that God is intimately aware of the labor you are doing or not doing or doing with the wrong motivation. The only way that God could, could award or give a wage accordingly is that he is intimately involved and aware of what you're doing. Look at verse 9. And this kind of sets the stage for what we're going to look at in verse 10 through 15. Paul says this, For we are God's fellow workers. Paul is not saying that he and Apollos are on the same level of God. What Paul is saying is that he and Apollos are the same within the kingdom of God, and they're both serving under the direction of God using the gifts that they've been given. So it's not Paul against Apollos or Peter against Paul or John against Peter. They're, they're all serving in the kingdom work based on how God had called them and equipped them and gifted them to work. That they are God's fellow workers. Not just Paul and Apollos, but every follower of Jesus is a fellow worker with God. God is at work in the world, drawing people to himself. And God invites us to join him in that work, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his voice, to be his love, to be his grace, to be his mercy. You have been called, every disciple of Jesus, to kingdom work. He says... 
that we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. I think maybe the King James uses husbandry here. That is the word behind it, husbandry. What does that mean? Well, it kind of has the idea of a vineyard. That God has planted a vineyard and He expects fruit out of His vineyard. You are the one that's been planted. You have been born at a particular time, to a particular family, to a particular region, to a particular area. God has planted you as a disciple of Jesus Christ and He expects fruit out of your life. You are God's field. And then finally, He says right here, you are God's building. Now he begins to switch the metaphor. He's been talking about agricultural, growing, planting, sowing, watering. Now he's going to talk about building a building. Look at this. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, this is Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul now switches kind of the vision or the, the metaphor here, and he starts talking about building a building. And Paul says, I am a master builder. If you look behind that English translation, it has the idea of Paul being an architect, but not just someone who, who, who designed it, but someone who is hands-on. It kind of goes beyond just being an architect. It goes beyond just sitting somewhere and drawing up blueprints. It, it's the guy's kind of like the job foreman the guy who's on the site, the guy who has his hands in the work. Paul says, I am a master builder, but I am building something upon a foundation that has already been laid. Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus. So Paul says here that, that he is laying a foundation. Now, any good building, any good house, any good uh, industrial complex starts with a good, solid foundation. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can spend a lot of money on a foundation, pouring concrete and rebar into ditches and holes to make sure that when the building sits upon it, that it's stable. Paul says here that we have got to pay attention. We've got to be careful on how we build upon the foundation. He says there's only one foundation, and it's already been established, that Jesus Christ is the foundation. In other words, we don't mess with the foundation. Now, if you go over into Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says to that church, he says that the apostles are the foundation. Well, is he contradicting himself? No. That Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, has been Paul's message, has been Peter's message, has been John's message, everywhere that they've went. You look at Paul's life. You look at what he does as he walks through the book of Acts, as we walk through the book of Acts, watching him on his missionary journeys. What is the consistent message that Paul has over and over and over again? Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah that he died for the sins of humanity, and that he rose again the third day. That is the consistent message of Paul. So the, the foundation that the church is built upon is, in fact, Jesus Christ himself and what he accomplished on our behalf. But these apostles have an incredible role in establishing the New Testament church and here's Paul, he's in Asia Minor, he's all the way over in Rome, he's in Macedonia, he's planting some 22 churches in areas that had no influence with the gospel. So Paul is actually part of that foundation that he's working, that master builder. We cannot ever mess with the foundation. There are churches across our country that have decided and are deciding as we speak this morning 
that Jesus is just no longer in vogue. He, he's not someone we need to be talking about anymore. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he's okay, but he's not all that great. So let's just kind of put him to the side, and let's just have a gathering where we can become better people. But do we have to talk about Jesus? Can we not just talk about Buddha? Can we not talk about Hare Krishna? Can we not talk about Allah? Can we not talk about all these others? And folks, let me make sure we understand here that when we begin to put Jesus in the back room somewhere, when we begin to minimize the gospel and minimize what Jesus has done, you are messing with the foundation of the church. And don't be surprised when cracks begin to form. There is no other foundation. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that if Jesus is not the foundation of your church, you don't have a church. You've got a social gathering. You've got a club. You've got a membership, but you don't have a church. So we can't mess with the foundation. Paul is very clear here with his church at Corinth. Corinth was beginning to tinker around with the foundation. Paul says that he was a master builder and that others are now going to build on that foundation. Who's building on the foundation? This foundation of the gospel of Jesus himself. Uh, Paul says over in Ephesians 2 that, that Jesus is also the cornerstone, that, that, that we lay the walls based on this perfect, true cornerstone, Jesus. And Jesus is also the foundation. So who's building? Well, you and I are. Every disciple of Jesus is building upon this foundation. Now, you may be building poorly, but you're building. Notice what Paul says here. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, now, I want you to notice those two categories there. He's got gold, silver, precious stones. Then he's got wood, hay, and straw. Now, all we need to be concerned about here is that there's, there's two categories of building materials here. Uh, one set is basically beautiful, powerful, strong, will remain. Uh, you can say that that first group, the, the stones, the gold, the silver, you can say that that is imperishable that it's strong, that it will remain, that it's, it's solid building materials. And then you get into the wood, hay, and straw. Remember, in Jerusalem, Judea, most of the promised land, there was a lot, a lot of wood. So when we think about wood as a building product here, absolutely. I mean, your house is built out of two-befores, but in this day, uh, it was not considered a very strong building supply. It wasn't very much, you couldn't, you couldn't find a lot of wood in particular areas here. So the second group is, is, is groups of building materials that are not that strong, that when they're tested, may fail. He says, verse 13, each one's work, notice this, each one's work. So every disciple of Jesus is building upon a foundation. And Paul has already said we need, to take very, we need to take a lot of care in how we're building and what we're using and what we're investing our life in, that our work will become manifest. In other words, the works that we have done will become evident. It will become clear. It will be, it will be re revealed. And notice this, for the day. You notice in your Bible how the word day is capitalized? Do you see that? So, so Paul's not talking about some random day out in the future. No, he's talking about a specific day. He's talking about a day when Jesus is going to return and, and we're going to be taken up with him. We don't know exactly when this review is going to take place. There's a lot of speculation about that. I don't think it really matters. What you need to know is it's going to happen. 
And whether it happens after the rapture, whether it happens after the tribulation period, whether it happens at the great white throne judgment, wherever different theologians have different positions to take, I don't think it's the issue. The issue is, is that as a believer, a disciple of Jesus, you have got to understand that one day you're going to stand in front of your king. And you are going to give an account for the building that you did on the foundation. The resources that you were given, the mina that you were given, how did that translate into building the household of God? And when we say building the household, we're not talking about building buildings. We're not talking about laying brick and mortar. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of God. Great commission work. How did you do? Did you build with gold, silver, precious stones, or did you build with wood, hay, and straw? Well, there's going to be a test. Now, understand that what Paul is describing here is, a, is an illustration. It's a metaphor. It's, there's not going to be some furnace somewhere up in heaven that, that, that God is going to put all your works in, and we're going to see if gold and silver remain. No, this is an illustration to help us understand that there's going to be a time of review. There's going to be a time when we stand before Jesus and all the work that we did from the time we were born again to the time we left this planet is going to be on the table for discussion. But the illustration that Paul gives is this. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If that work... If the work that anyone has, has built on the foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. So in this review, in this time where we're standing before Jesus, and we're given an account for the time we were born again to the time we left this planet, if that stands up to the testing that Jesus provides in that moment, and the illustration is that it's placed into a fire, fire has this purifying, well, this purifying characteristic to it that, if you put gold and silver into it, it just gets even purer. Gold gets even more pure. Silver gets even more pure. But it stands. So if you've been building with things that matter, if you've been investing your life in things that matter, that have kingdom impact, when those things are tested by Jesus, they're going to stand. Then Jesus is going to say, well done. Well done. You've been faithful over a few things. Now. I'm going to give you responsibility over many. I don't know what that looks like in heaven. I really don't. I don't know what, what it looks like to be responsible for some area of the kingdom in its final state. I, I, don't, I don't have all my arms around all of that. I just know that based on the parable of the minas and the talents and what Paul is saying here and elsewise, there's, there's going to be a reward. Paul talks about crowns. He talks about them multiple times, that there'll be a crown given. But here's what we've got to understand, folks. That reward that you're receiving, if it were not for the grace of God, if it were not for the grace of Jesus, first of all, you wouldn't even be there. So we've got to understand something. That is not going to be a moment for pride and arrogance. That is going to be a moment to realize that if it were not for the grace of God, you wouldn't be there to start with. If it were not for the grace of God, you would have never entered the kingdom. And if God, out of His good grace, wants to give us reward, then great. But honestly, in reality, I don't deserve any rewards in that place. There's only one who receives. There's only one person in that place who deserves the reward, and it's the one who's doing the accounting. He's the one that paid the price. 
He's the one that shed his blood for me. He's the one that I'm going to be able to see the scars in his hand and in his forehead when I'm standing before him. It's all going to be right there. But notice, notice what happens if your stuff burns up. It says here, if the work that anyone has been on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will, he or she will suffer loss. I'm not exactly sure what suffering loss means in this context. You are not going to be cast into hell. This is not based upon, if you, if, if you have done poorly in managing what God has given you, He's not going to cast you off into hell. Because if, if that is the context of what's happening here, then, then our salvation now is based off of works. And that is not the case. Salvation is based off of God's good grace and His gift to us. So this is not about salvation, but it is about rewards, and it is about stewardship. And when Jesus holds you accountable and tests what you've done, it's either going to burn up or it's going to remain. But there is going to be a loss. Here's what I think that loss is. I think this is what the loss really is. I, there could be a lot of other things, and again, a lot of people debate what that looks like in the kingdom, but here's what I think it is. I think in that moment, when your life's work, from the time you came to faith in Christ to the time you died, disappears in a matter of seconds, I think there's going to be some regret there. To think of all that could have been done, the impact that you could have had, the, the, the blessing you could have been to other people, the love that you could have had for other people, and the love that you could have received from other people by serving in the kingdom work, that work is going to burn up. There's not going to be much left. There's not going to be a lot there. It's just going to go poof, and it's going to be gone. And in that moment, you're going to be looking at the king who laid down his life for you. And I would have to imagine that in that moment, if there was any way to go back and do it differently, you would, but there's not. I want you to see God's grace here, that he will suffer loss. And this is God's grace, right here it is, coming clearly. He will suffer loss, though he himself or herself will be saved. In other words, Paul wants to make very clear to this church at Corinth, because they were already struggling with a works-based salvation, that's, that works didn't get you there. And, and even though you may have wasted everything that God gave you, because you are a son of God, because you are a daughter of God, you are going to make it in. There's some interpreters who look at that and go, you made it in by the skin of your teeth. Here's the reality, folks. We're all going to have some wood, hay, and straw to burn up. I am going to have some wood, some hay, and some straw to go poof right in front of Jesus. We're all going to have some. But Paul wouldn't have told us this if there wasn't an opportunity for us to build with things that matter, to, to invest our lives in things that matter. That, that when we get to that moment, there's going to be gold, there's going to be silver, there's going to be precious stones that, that's going to turn into a sacrifice of worship back to our king as we stand before him. That we can, we can point to the works that we've done, that we did for the right reason with the right motivation. And, and as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, that we are, our lives are to be a, a sacrifice of worship back to him. That there's going to be something tangible right in front of Jesus 
As I'll see his scars, as I see in his body the suffering that he did on my behalf, that I want something in that moment that represents a life well lived. Not lived for me, but lived for him. With, with all that he's done for us and all that he's given us, wouldn't we want in that moment to be able to have something to say, here, Jesus, th this, this was done for you. It wasn't done for me. This was done for you. So what does it look like to build, to build with gold, silver, and precious stones? What, what do we need to be doing? What do we need to be about in our life? Well, well you're going to be surprised that in none of the things I'm getting ready to give you, I'm going to talk about butts and seats or bucks and a budget. This is one of the most freeing things as a pastor that, that the things that we often hold to a high degree doesn't even come up in the kingdom of God. And oftentimes the things we don't even think about are the things that Jesus is most concerned about. Let me give you just a few things here to consider. If you are part of the church, you are building. Now I recognize that some watching this morning, some in this building, you're not part of the church. What I mean by that is, You've never been born again. You've never put your faith in Jesus. I understand that, which means you are not part of the church. You, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to the kingdom. It doesn't matter to the king. You've got your name on a membership roll somewhere. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're not part of the body of Christ. But if you are part of the body of Christ, then you are building. E even if, if you're doing nothing in the kingdom at all, which really kind of begs a question about where, you're where you stand with Christ. And it also begs a question about your relationship to Him. But let, let's just say that there's really no engagement in the works that I'm getting ready to talk about, this gold, silver, and precious stones. You're still building. You're just building with wood, hay, and straw. You see, the question is, what are you using? What are you investing your life in? What, what are you making it about? And will it last? Paul said, we are God's fellow workers. It's not just the clergy that's called to this work. We're all called to it. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you will stand before Christ. You are a servant of the King. You will stand before Him and you will give an account. And the reality is, is, is you are building with something. It may be perishable or it may be imperishable, but you're building. If you're doing nothing, you're building. If, if you're not following Jesus, you're not taking up your cross, you're still building. And you're building with straw, hay, stubble, and wood. Second thing I want you to notice here. Perishables look impressive until they're tested. So, for example, you can, you can build a pretty nice hut out of straw. You can build a pretty nice hut out of, out of some wood scraps. You can build some stuff out of perishable stuff. But it's not until it's tested. It's not until the wind blows on it. It's not until somebody comes up and shakes it. It's not until the fire comes that you find out that what you've got is really nothing at all. The American church is making a big deal about a lot of things. But I'm wondering if it's not just wood, hay, and straw. Just because a church is massively huge and has 12,000 people in it does not mean does not mean that they are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. And likewise, just because a church has 50 people in it, that Jesus is somehow going to give them a pass because they only have 50 people in it. They're going to be held accountable just as much as the mega church with 12,000 is and everything in between. 
But I'm afraid sometimes in the American church, we get caught up with stuff that is actually wood, hay, and straw because it looks good. Somebody else is doing it. But when it gets tested, when the fire comes, when the wind blows, when a pandemic hits, you find out what is real and what isn't. Make no mistake about it. This pandemic has changed your pastor. Changed him. The pandemic and my birthday and the other birthdays that I've had leading up to this, in eight years as your pastor here, I'm not the same guy coming out of this pandemic as the guy that went into it. God has done some correcting in me. And I see that we've got some, we may have some hay, wood, and stubble. That's going to change. It's going to change. Third thing I want you to see is that the imperishable kingdom work is clearly defined. I want to give you some kingdom work. I want to give you some, some gold, silver, and stones. I, mean, I, I can't give you all. I could, spend, I could spend hours, I could spend weeks on just this portion about what does it mean to build with gold, silver, and precious stones? What does it mean to be engaged in kingdom work that really is going to stand the test of time? I'm going to give you a few. This first one's not going to shock you. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Share the gospel. Make disciples. You may get tired of hearing me say that. It's the one thing Jesus told us to do. As clear as it could possibly be. And you may think, hey, I don't have the skill set. What, what does it mean to, to make a disciple? What does it mean for me to, to pour into someone else? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why I'm here. I'm here to equip you to do the work that Christ has called us to do. I have been called. My role here as your pastor is to love you, to serve you, and to help you build with gold, silver, and precious stones. That God's equipped you to do some things. And I want to lean into that. No, you've got all you need. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. You've got all you need. Say you've got all you need. I want to hear you say it. I've got all I need. You've got all you need. So let's take that excuse off the table. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Great commission engagement. Personal ownership of the great commission. Second thing, this won't surprise you. Love God. Love your neighbor. You thought this was going to be deep, profound, like 10 steps to somehow getting to a better you. No. It's the same old, same old, same old stuff, isn't it? And we're going to keep talking about it because I still have yet to get all of this. I still have yet to have these areas of my life where I'm fulfilling this and, and really building with gold, silver, and precious stones. And it's bothering me because I know I've got less time ahead than I've got behind. Love, you, love God with all that you are. That's why you're here this morning, right? You're not here to see me. You're, you're not here to hear a, a band. You're here to worship God. Can I just say, man, I, hearing you sing this morning has, has just, been, um, just been medicine for my soul. It's been a while, hasn't it? God, it sounds so good to hear you guys sing. You're here today to worship God. Our, our role as, as pastors and worship team and you know, welcome folks out there. Our, our goal here, our security team, everybody that's here serving, our children's ministry servants, our goal here today collectively is to worship God, not to be seen, not to get patted on the back, but to worship God. That's why we're here. So love God, love your neighbor. Third, it's time to forgive yourself and forgive some others. You want to do, do some kingdom work? 
you want you want to have some some gold and some silver that doesn't just go poof. Here's here's a good place to start. Forgive yourself. You're carrying around some stuff in your life that Jesus forgave you of a long time ago, but you're still beating yourself down because of it. Jesus is like, I don't even know, I don't even know why you're beating yourself down. That doesn't even exist. I cast that as far as the east is from the west. Isn't it time to forgive yourself and move on? That's some kingdom work. And then that kingdom work turns into another great kingdom work that if you can forgive yourself, guess what? It's time to forgive some other people. It's time to say, you know what? I am no longer going to carry that grudge. I am no longer going to lock myself into prison. I'm no longer going to be bound by what that other person thinks. I am no longer going to carry this mess around. So I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to forgive that other person. I'm getting on with my life. That's kingdom work. Fourth, participate in the body. Participate in the body. Boy, participation looks different now, doesn't it? we got people participating this morning in 14 states, 10 different countries, participating in this body. I've had to rethink all of that. That's one of the other changes that God has really messed with. The, the, the power of technology to reach people with the gospel that I, I never really even considered before. But your participation, that the love your neighbor, neighbor here, your brothers and sisters in Christ, but to participate in the body, the work of Christ. Fifth, be thankful. Be thankful. Yeah, I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. When I look um, on our social media platforms, I'm seeing a lot of griping, but not a lot of gratefulness and thankfulness. Good gracious. Yeah, I know there's some things going wrong. I know things are off the rails. I got that. But boy, we are a blessed people, are we not? Should we be thanking God for what, what, what He's given us today already? And shouldn't that thankfulness turn into just, a, just an overwhelming joy that spills out of our life? And when, when those other folks around look at us and go, how can you be so happy? How can you be so joyful? I look at them and go, how can I not be? How can I not be? Yeah, I know things are messed up, but I'm, I'm going to be joyful. I'm not going to be well, the Sarapus folks that you know that are out there, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going to be eat up with bitterness. I'm going to be thankful. And that thankfulness and that gratitude for God and for His love and His grace, man, that is a great medicine to your soul. Walk in Christ-likeness. Walk like Jesus did. Look for the brokenhearted. Look for the people around you who everyone else has forgotten about. And you run towards them. Don't run away from them. That walking in Christ's likeness means that I'm going to love the unlovable, that I'm going to love people, and I'm going to try to put them first. And it's going to start in my home, it's going to start in my marriage, it's going to start with my kids, but I'm going to walk in Christ's likeness because of what you've been called to. You want to, you want to have some gold, silver, and precious stones, then you walk like Christ did. And then finally, be generous. Flows right out of that, doesn't it? Be generous. Generous with your time? Yes, generous with your resources? But be generous. That's just a few. We could go on and on. Here's the point, folks. Imagine. Imagine you're the third servant in the line. Your king has returned. It's your turn to step up. And you see the scars. You hear his voice. And it's time now. You give an account for what you did with what he gave you. How much 
hay, wood, straw, stubble is going to just disappear in a moment. And how much is going to actually remain? I don't think. I don't think we have to be too suspicious about that or wonder too much about it. I think we know. I think we know what kind of work we've been doing and what kind of serving we've been doing and what kind of investing we've been doing and what Christ has invested into us. I don't think it's a mystery. But if you're starting to see that there's a whole lot more wood, hay, and stubble there than gold, silver, and precious stones, maybe, maybe it's time to turn, which is what we call repentance. And maybe it's time to spend the, less, the rest of the days that we have storing up treasures in heaven so that when we stand before Jesus, we won't be filled with regret. That it'll be an act of worship in that single moment back to a king who's worthy of all sacrifice and all worship. Father in heaven, um, your kindness is far greater than we deserve, that's for sure. Your grace is far more than we deserve. So Father, in this moment, we plead with you and we plead with the Holy Spirit that you would reveal to us now those works. Father, I believe that one of the reasons that Paul taught this to the Corinthian church is so that they would begin to wrestle now, today, with the works that they're doing, the motivation behind what they're doing. Father, you are far more concerned with the why. You are far more concerned with why we're doing what we're doing rather than what we're doing. So, Father, I pray that for every disciple, both online and here, we would turn inward this morning. Right now in this moment, Satan would love for us to look at somebody else. To compare ourselves to somebody else in the building or some other Christian we know and, and to say, well, that, that, one, that one failed and I haven't failed like that person has. So therefore, I'm, I'm doing okay. But Father, the comparison is not from one disciple to another. The comparison is between us and your son. And Father, in that, we have all fallen short. So Father, in this moment, may we not be distracted. Have your will in your way. And Father, may we be honest with you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 